Well, good evening. Thank you so much for being here. So this is Teaming Up in Marriage, and it is a follow-up to last week's uh, kickoff with Brother Steve and Miss Donna, who had a chance to be in the room uh, last Wednesday night. I had a great time with them, and they just walked through some, some different scenarios of marriage that are important to us. We had surveyed about 100 couples in our church, and about 40 responded. So we took those 40 responses, kind of walked through it. So we had some fun. We had some fun with, with baking peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and talking and having a good time at the tables. But um, what we asked the question, we asked our couples, how would you like to see your marriage grow this year? And what they did through the survey was give us a whole bunch of ways they want to grow. And we just took out those top five and just had a night of it. And so what the next several weeks is in the month of September and October is just to walk back through those and walk back through some we didn't cover last Wednesday night, just some main topics of marriage that are regarding the area of teaming up. And teaming up is biblical. Genesis chapter 2, the Word says that two are to become one. And that's a great definition of a team, right, when two become one. So that's what we're doing tonight. And tonight we're blessed because we have John and Sue Damaris with us. They have taught on marriage and lived out marriage for decades. And so thankful to have them tonight. I'm going to pray. No, well, taught on it and experienced with it. Um, I'll let you share the whole story, but I've so loved, I've sat under your teaching myself. It's benefited our marriage, so, so thankful. Let me pray for us, and I'll get out of their way. Well, Father, we praise your name, and we thank you so much, Lord, for tonight and chance for we have as couples to come together under the teaching of your word uh, to take what you've constituted, which is marriage, and learn how to team up within it. So thank you for John and Sue. I pray you'd anoint them right now, fill them with your Holy Spirit. I pray that you do the teaching through them. Thank you for each couple who's here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Thank you. You just come grab a seat. There you go. No problem. Glad to have you. All right, so we are John and Sue. Oh, we got a, some more stragglers coming in here. Here we go. All right. All right, we are John and Sue Damaris, and, uh, and like Tim said, we've been teaching, I think, at, at Bellevue for about 17 years or so. And uh, a lot of young marrieds uh, as we did that. But um, we wanted to give you a brief... How many of you have been in our class before? All right, not many. Great. So we can tell stories, and if you heard them before, don't worry about it. Um, anyway, Sue and I were, um, uh, were pretty young when we got married. We were 19 and 18. And I was Catholic, and she was Protestant. And uh, I didn't have a full-time job. I worked at a grocery store. And uh, she was a freshman in college. And we told our parents we were going to get married. Wonder how that went, huh? We had very little money, very little possessions. We didn't even have a couch. Um, and we had no support from our family either. They were very, very upset. And uh, so we were both pretty much uh, rebels and hard-headed. So that's how we started our marriage. At 19 and 18, I'm going to grab the mic. I knew she was going to probably kick in in a minute here. And um, anyway, I say all of that because I wanted to throw that at you and say, what would you say to us as parents? We're 19 and 18. We're going to tell you we're getting married. I don't have a full-time job. She's a freshman in college, and we have no money, and I drive a Volkswagen. That's it. 
That's all we had. We had an old rusty Volkswagen. So what are your thoughts? How do you think that went? I know you're all smiling, going, I want to kill that guy. You know, that kind of thing. But think about it. How would you think? How would you feel? No? There you go. It's kind of ironic that I'm teaching you right now. But that's, um, yeah, so no. Okay. Anybody else? Yeah. Good luck. Thanks. I think a lot of people said that to us. Good luck. Um, well, we've been married for almost 47 years. All right? And we have two grown children, as you can see in the uh, picture there. Um, our son is to Sue's right, and uh, my daughter is to my left. And my daughter is a high school English teacher at Briarcrest. Her husband is a high school English teacher at White Station. My son is an IT manager at FedEx. And his wife homeschools their five kids. We have eight grandkids. So we've got two grown kids. They're married. We've got eight grandkids. We've been completely debt-free for quite some time. And we're still best friends. We retired early. And we live in a beach house four months out of the year. How did that all happen? How did it happen? There's only one thing. That's Jesus. We got saved in 1983. We were in our 20s, and we came to Christ. And um, let me see if I can uh, hold this mic and try to do this at the same time. Here, hold on. So let me ask you this. What would you say are pressures in your life right now? Because I know what pressures are. I mean, we've been through them. But what would you say are pressures right now that make it challenging for you to give your marriage the time and the, effort and the energy it needs to grow stronger? That's a big one. That's on our list. Busyness. What else? work. Yeah. Boy, it takes up a lot of time. Took up a lot of my time. Wow, lack of commitment. There you go. Yeah. That's a really big one. Yeah. Hobbies. Yeah. Yeah. How many yeah. of you are dealing with both children on one side and aging parents on the other? You know? Few. You know, you yeah. have to, and you're being torn with taking care of aging mom and dad and yet still trying to um, devote some time to your kids that are almost out of the house by now, you know, and you're thinking, you're counting the time, you're thinking, I don't have much left, you know, to pour into these kids, you know, so you're torn that way. Well, let me ask you this. What are some of the barriers couples face today as we think of spending time with our spouse? Just spending time together. What are some of the barriers? What's that? Yep. The phone. The phone. 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that can divide a husband and wife. Especially soccer, baseball, cheerleading, you name it. Yeah. Let me tell you something. We had a lot of friends growing up that divided them because of sports and those type of things. One was at one field, one was at another, one was here, one was there, and all of a sudden, and, uh, and you could see it in their marriage. It was a real struggle for them. You know, I've got here fatigue busyness again, outside demands, children's schedules, you hit it. Um, expense of just going out to dinner for the two of you. It's not cheap anymore just to go out and have a bite to eat. You know, um, it used to be, but boy, you know, even now, Sue and I will go out and we just can't believe how, how expensive it is. So if you're with your spouse, and I apologize for those who just came by themselves today, but this is going to be a couple's thing, we're going to ask you to all stand up. You can all stand up if you like, all right? I'm going to put my mic down for a minute. We're going to get in the front. Okay, number two, have you ever ignored your spouse, even for a minute, because of something you were watching on TV, or reading social media, or even on your phone. Okay, you all squeezed on that. I know you did. You're texting your husband right now. Buzz the phone. Within, the, within this past year, have you let work cancel a time together that the two of you had planned in advance? All right. Number four, have you allowed stress over finances to adversely impact your relationship at any time in, during 2023? And I would think most people would squeeze their spouse's hand. Within the past six months, have you let a dispute over children, friends, or activities come between you? What's that? Okay, I'll say it again. Within the past six months, have you let a dispute over children, friends, or activities come between you? Okay, here we go. At any time, have you let a hobby or other interests consume so much of your time that your spouse felt neglected? In number seven, this is my favorite. Have you ever experienced a time when your in-laws caused strife in your marriage? Ever, ever. Okay, all have a seat. Okay. So really, when you look at it, how important is making your marriage a priority? It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And I'll tell you, for 47 years, it's been our focus. And uh, we've had the in-law issues. 
we've had the stress over finances. The stress over finances. We were short on a four-week month, and we had a little extra on a five-week month when we first got married. We know what it is to not have money. So I'm going to open up to Ephesians uh, 5, 15 through 16. And let's take a look at what marriage, uh, why marriage is a priority. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. You know, right now we haven't even mentioned the enemy, right? We haven't even brought him up. But he's the reason that we're studying like we're studying, all right? The days are evil. When I was a kid watching TV versus watching TV now, I just can't believe what's on. You know, and I'm sure my parents felt the same way years before that, but it just keeps getting worse. And the, the interesting thing is, bad has become good, right? Bad's become good, and it continues to go that way. It just becomes okay after a while. We've drank the Kool-Aid, all right? So let me just give you an example of, and some of you have heard this story, and I'm not going to stay long on it, but um, when it comes to work, all right, in, in your job, I have felt that, you know, I, at, at a very young age, I became a manager, and I had over 200 people working for me. It was a union shop, and we manufactured floppy disks. It'll tell you back in the 70s. It was a long time ago. And they weren't five and a quarter. They were eight-inch floppy disks, all right, the big guys. So anyway, those fl we made floppy disks. We're in the computer products industry, and I had a really good job. And things were going well. And uh, so for 20 years, and I praise God for that job because now it gives me a nice pension, which a lot of people don't get pensions anymore. But anyway, I really praise God for that. But, but anyway, for 20 years, I had that job. And then I was offered a new one as senior director of operations for a privately held company. And I had sites all around the world. And I was going to be over all of that. And so I took the job. But one thing that was super important to me, and guys, listen to this. I left work every day at 5 o'clock. I don't care what was going on. My day was done. And I was off home, and I had dinner with my family. It was more important than anything else. I can do my job in eight or nine hours. I get there early in the morning before anybody else, but I also left at 5. But here's the kicker. All my peers and some of the VPs and all that, their windows face the parking lot. And by the, by the way, I was driving a Volkswagen Beetle in the 90s. All right, it was restored, but it was pretty cool. I would drive that to work. My, so my car is parked out there, and they would yell out the window, hey, it must be 5 o'clock, just making fun of me, you know, because I'm leaving early. And they would stay till 6 or 7. And honestly, guys, they were talking about sports. They weren't working. Work was done. They were just hanging out. And it bothered me. You know, why would you want to do that? Why wouldn't you want to be home? So two years later, I'm, now we're, all, we're both from New Hampshire. So I'm running this company in New Hampshire. And sites are all around the country in Europe and Canada. And so I'm traveling a little bit back and forth and stuff. But 
the owner called, we were on vacation, and the owner called and said, John, I need to see you as soon as you get back. We gotta have a discussion. It's about the company I just met with the banks. So I'm thinking, we're closing down. You know, uh-oh. And he sat me down and he said, this is what I want to do. I wanna close all the sites down in the US, except for one. You need to find a place to move it to, and you need to run it. And all those VPs up in the, um, in the uh, windows, they all got let go. So when you think that working eight, nine, 10, 12 hours a day is gonna get you promoted, God's got other plans. So really think about that, both of you, guys and girls. I mean, I know it's a crazy world out there and they want the most they can get at you, but um, that decision was made and we, uh, and we moved here. And I had to find a building, I had to find a house, I had to close down sites all around the country and it was a really crazy time. We had one graduated from college, we had one in college, and if you wanna talk about stress on a family, it was pretty crazy. And, uh, and God found this church while I was looking for a building. I was driving down the highway in the real estate agent said, and I said to him, is that a junior college? Because remember, the crosses weren't there. And I said, is that a junior college? And he said, no, that's Bellevue Baptist Church. Adrian Rogers is a pastor. This guy was Jewish. He knew all about the church. So he drove me around the parking lot, drove all around the building. Fellowship Hall wasn't there yet, or was being built. And, and we just drove around, and I, I went there on a Wednesday night and heard Adrian Rogers preach and called Sue and said, I found our church. It's got 25,000 people. And she said, we're not going there. <laughs> so hold on, let me, let me move this down. So when you think about it, when you look at the scripture I just read, and I, I have it up here, it says, um, what is God calling us to do in these verses? Look at that. What's he calling us to do? Read it. It's right there. Walk wisely is one. Oh, amen. Amen. Making the best of our time. You know, do you think there are times when the enemy consume our time with good things, right? So we're more apt to neglect the best. And let me tell you guys, the best is so much different than good. When he took us here and moved us here, it changed our lives. It changed, it changed everything. It changed our relationship with our kids. And we had a great relationship with our kids. I mean, life was good. But let me tell you, the best, when you're in the middle of God's tornado and he's showing you the best, it is incredible. So you're going to start. Okay. Well, how can we be sure? The next question, how can we be sure Mike. we are choosing God's very best over simply good things? How do you know that you are doing the the best. I was a type of person that was um, 
a stay-at-home mom, but I got involved in so many different things. And I would look, and people would ask you, you know, when you're a stay-at-home mom and you, you have a degree in teaching, and there, there's a tons of things, you know, they're asking you at the schools and, uh, or at church and things like that. And I would look at them and I'd say, well, yeah, that's good. That's good. So I, I guess I'm supposed to be doing that. And it got to the point where I finally realized that I was doing so many good things, I was neglecting the very best, which was my family. So I thought, how, how do you know that you know that it's even though it's a good thing, you still be good forfeiting the very best? How do you know? And that's what I want to kind of share. Tonight we want to share a little bit about our lives um, because we want to give you guys hope. You know, when we, when John told you when we got married, we were 18 and 19. Um, we were both hard-headed, both rebels. Our parents did not approve. Um, I quit college um, to get married six months. I only went a semester. My father never even came to the wedding. We got married by a justice of the peace in order to save peace because he was Catholic and I was Protestant. And suddenly, even though we never attended church, suddenly church was important, you know. And um, they wanted him to marry a good Catholic girl. And my father thought I would be barefoot and pregnant the rest of my life because, <laughs> because I was marrying a Catholic boy, you know, that type of thing. It was tough. And when we finally said, we're getting married, they just washed their hands of us. That's it. You want to do this? You're on your own. And we had no help from, from anybody. Now, I was a girl that was painfully, painfully shy. I was very comfortable sitting in the corners of the room. Don't ask me questions. I won't bother raising my hand. I'm perfectly fine just listening in on the conversation. And that was me. And so I married John because he was one he could talk to a pole and make a conversation. I could hold on to that man's arm, and he could just carry on the conversation. We would know the people ahead of us in line and the people behind us, and we were great friends going out for dinner, you know, by the time we got through the line and stuff like that. And that was great. I was fine with that. And then one day... The Lord got a hold of us when I was 24 and John was 25. And we were, by that time, because we didn't have support, and honestly, we had about 75 people at our wedding, and I don't think anyone there except for John thought that we'd make it. That's, you know, everybody gave us no hope of surviving because we were so hard-headed and we were so stubborn. And so we just kept clashing constantly. I, John's father would tell me that it was my job to convince this man. And I wanted to say to him, you had 19 years. Why are you telling me to do this now? You've already had 19 years to try to convince this man of something, and you were not successful. But he, had, he kept harping on me. And so finally, John... Um, came home one day and I said, John, we need to find a church. I, our, we had both children at the time. Our daughter and our son were both born. And I just felt we need some sort of foundation for our children and for ourselves. 
and he came home and he said, I want to go to Bethel Baptist Church. And honestly, I was like, <laughs> Baptist? But at that time, the Lord had made me so desperate, I would, he could have said, thrown out anything, Jehovah Witness, and I would have said, okay, let's go, let's go give it a try, you know, that type of thing. But the, the, the cool thing was, we went, we were saved immediately, and then I began to study God's word, and, um, uh, and then <laughs> uh, I want to tell you, after about, you know, we grew in the Lord, we began to serve, and all of that kind of thing, but then 20, about 25 years ago, I went through probably the most toughest time in um, my whole life, and that was when we were moving here. We had to leave our children behind. Our daughter was graduating from college. She was already engaged. She wanted to um, take a teaching job there. Our son graduated from high school and was going off to college, and we were coming here all by ourselves. I became an empty nester overnight by stepping on an airplane, and that was difficult. And I, as I was teaching, I was actually teaching kindergarten at the time, the Lord would come in, through the, in the night, about 2 o'clock in the morning. And I would hear, not verbally, but the words would come to me, rise, come away with me, my beloved. I would hear that. And I would grab my Bible, and I would go out into the living room, and we'd sit out there, and I would journal, and I would read through the Psalms until he could put, speak peace over my heart once more. Because I was trying desperately to keep it together in front of my children and in front of the, my husband, who was, had so much going on at that point, trying to close down and find, a, find our new home and our building, try to shut down sites. He had just way too much. And so every night he would say that to me, Arise, Sue. Come away with me, my beloved. Let me speak peace to you. Let me speak to you. And then at about 4 o'clock in the morning, he'd put me back to sleep. And I'd wake up again at 6 in the, at six in the morning, get ready, and get ready for work. And it felt like I never missed out on those hours of sleep. I woke every morning refreshed and ready to go. But I want to show you something that's so cool that the Lord showed me. You've got it up there. Okay. Arise, my come away with me, my beloved. It's found in Song of Solomon, um, chapter 2, verse 10. And just last night, um, the Lord got me up at 3 in the morning with those same words, arise, come away with me, my beloved. And, and I let, got me, up. let me just interrupt for a second. That hasn't happened in a long time. And we, were, we had put this study together a while ago, but we went over it that day. And we were critiquing and checking things out. And I woke up last night, and she wasn't in bed. And I knew where she was. She was in the guest bedroom upstairs. And she had gone up there to read. Mm -hmm. And so I went up in the morning and just said, so you got up and studied some more, huh? And she's like, yep, he woke me up. <laughs> Wait till you so hear good. what he told me. Anyway, I want to let you know that even after coming, coming to Christ, I was still a rebel. In fact, I still am today. I'm wearing white pants, and it's after Labor Day. Okay, I wanted to prove to you that I can be a rebel still to this day. And it amazes me 
that it amazes me that El Shaddai, Adonai, El Elyon, God Most High, would somehow look down on me, a rebel who didn't have anything together, and say, come away with me, my beloved. Arise. Come away. Let me speak peace over you. Let me teach you. Let me comfort you. That he would even care to do that to me. It just blows me away. You know, when I thought about, and I tell you the, the fact that I was as shy, content to be in the corner and all that, because I thought about, I've been reading a lot in Exodus, Exodus and studying Moses, and in, in chapter 24 of Moses, let me just read this to you, just the first verse. It says, now he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, um, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go with him. And it dawned on me that the majority of the people, and I would have been one of those people, that was content to stay at the bottom, the base of the mountain. The majority of the people, that's where they stayed. And I had to think for a bit, were they content? And I, then I had to think, I probably would have been one of those. I would have been the one sitting at the base of this, the mountain, content. But then there were 70 others, and Aaron and his sons and Moses, that got to go halfway up the mountain. And they got to commune with God there. And then those 70 and Aaron and his sons stayed. And only Moses climbed to the pinnacle of that mountain to commune with God. And I thought about also in the temple. You know, you had the outer court where the women could go and the people and the sacrifices were made. And then you had the inner court of the temple. And then you had the Holy of Holies where only one person could enter once a year. And that was the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies to commune with God and to present the um, sacrifices um, for all the people that day. But the cool thing was that when Jesus died for us, that veil was torn. It torn, tore from top to bottom. And now we all are given access to the top of the mountain, to the Holy of Holies. And my stubbornness and my hard-headedness is one that says, no matter what, I want to get into that holy of holies. I want to reach that top of the mountain. I covet every bit of God that he will give me because I know it's unending. I know that it's a, it's a, um, I'm just trying to think of the word. It's an unending source. I will never have enough. I will never be enough. And even this morning when the Lord woke me up and said, arise, Sue. Come away with me, my beloved. I have something to teach you. I grabbed hold of my Bible, and I went straight out, no matter what time it was during that morning. The Lord knows that that's going to happen when he calls on me. And so I want to show you this. This is the cool thing, this little grain, this grain of truth that God gave me this morning, just this morning. In, in Song of Solomon's chapter 2, Verse 10, when it says, my beloved said to me, arise up, my beloved, and come away with me. 
five chapters later, five chapters in verse 10. So we got 2.10, and now we go 7.10. Five chapters later, we go to Song of Solomon 7.10. It says, I am my beloved, and his desire is for me. Do you know what that says, guys? Do you know what that's saying? It's answering the call in Song of Solomon's 2. When Jesus says to me, arise, Sue, come away with me, I can answer, I am my beloved, and his desire is for me. And that's been my declaration to the Lord, that he is my beloved. He is my all in, I, all, in all. He is my Adonai. He is my El Shaddai. He is Yahweh. Have you ever heard of that? I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but if you have children, I'm just going to show you this really tidbit because I just love it. But Yahweh is A-H-W-H, Yahweh, and it's, it's breathing. If you take a deep breath and you go, and you empty it out, yeah, you go, yeah, way, and breathe out, way. It's a breath. And I used to say that to my kids. I would hold it and go, yeah, way, yeah, way. That's how close our Lord is to us every day. And we can say that when we're going into the schools and when we're going into our workplaces and we're getting in our cars and just driving down these streets of Memphis because, my goodness, we need, some, we need help in, the, uh, in these dangerous streets. Yeah, way. Yeah, and that's how close he is. How cool is that? And I, I would really recommend you giving that to your children because they know that he is always there. He promises them in, in Hebrews that he will never leave us nor forsake us. But he is just that breath away, just that call. But anyway, it goes on in that passage because this is our commitment to the Lord. When it says, come, my beloved, let us go into the fields and lodge in the villages, and let us go out early in the vineyards and see what the vines have budded, where the grape blossoms have opened and the pomegranates have bloomed. Um, Matthew Henry says, this is speaking about our communion with God, going before God with freedom and without interruption. We should humbly and earnestly desire to commune with him each day. And I love how it says that in the, um, when it says, go out early. You know, the Lord loves to wake me up early. But I'll tell you, every time he has, I've never missed out on the sleep. I've never felt like I was exhausted the next day. I was always refreshed, always rejuvenated. That's our commitment to God. I am my beloved. I am my beloved. And you betcha, I'm going to go out there. Come, let's go. Let's go digging. Let's go make sure that this vineyard is doing well, that we're collecting fruit. And then at the bottom it says, the mandrakes give forth fragrance, and beside our doors are all choice fruits, new as well as old, which I have laid up for you, my beloved. Those that are, truly love Christ will think all that they have from him, through him and to him are all things. That's a, um, Romans 11:36. To him goes the glory. From him, through him, to him. 
goes the glory. All things belong to him. He has given it to us. And even their most pleasant of fruits, whatever those things are, those things that you just want to hang on to, are to be treasured and given back to him. It is all from him, and therefore it all goes back to him. How cool is that? How cool is that? And you know, and that's what we want to share with you because when we can do that, when we can wholly surrender, he can take us from the back of the room and sit us up in the front to be able to give a testimony, even though I would much rather be probably sitting at home in front of the television at this time rather than sitting in front of all of you. But I'm here because my beloved has called me here. Are you going to read First Peter? No, you go ahead. What well, says in First Peter? It says, "Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your husband, so that if any of them do, do not believe the word, that they may be won over without words uh, by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives." Yeah. And you were gonna, I was gonna, gonna share. I was gonna say that. You know, I wanted to share with you a little bit. I didn't know how many people were gonna be here from this past spring. We spoke on this as well. But First Peter three is what the Lord gave me. Um, after I thought that I had to continually convince John of certain things, and we were constantly butting heads. If you had seen us when we had, after we had been married five years, I'm sure you would have thought this marriage will not make it. It won't make it. Because we were constantly at it. He was working constantly, at least sometimes 80 hours a week, and I was home with the kids all the time. And um, This is in the early days. Yeah. And he was trying to put, you know, um, food on the table and all of that kind of thing. And he, by that time, he'd had a pretty good job. Um, but still, we were constantly betting heads, thinking, I thinking that I needed to uh, convince him of certain things. And him being as stubborn um, as he was and me being as stubborn as I was, we weren't getting very far in anything that we were coming to decision. And when I came to, when I finally said to the Lord, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? In order to save this marriage, the Lord said, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. And so I went there, and I began to study that, and I began to study Sarah. And it says, wives, in the same way, submit yourself to your own husband, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words. Without words. Oh, my word. Are you kidding me? Without words? What are you talking? What are, without words. What have I been using all this time? Was words. And, um, but by the behavior of your wives, that right there brought peace over a home. There was peace. Suddenly, for the first time in five years, there were peace over a home because I was not to use my words to convince him of anything. I was to what? Not look at him any longer, but to look at me. Because now I had to focus on what I was doing, my actions were going to be the, what was going to convince John of anything. But what the greatest thing was is when I got out of John's way, when I started, stopped trying to convince him of anything, that freed up God to convince him of everything. And John started coming home for dinner and not working late. And he started being the daddy to his kids and the husband to me. And suddenly, the marriage had hope. Yeah, instead of her telling her everything I was doing wrong, she just gave it to the Lord. 
Boy, is that tough for everybody, for all of us, huh? And when you think about it, just giving it to the Lord. No, it would be a lot easier just for me to tell Tim, hey, Tim, this is how I feel, right? I mean, think about it. It's a lot easier for me to do that. How, lo how long is God going to take? I mean, what happens if I start praying and it takes like 10 years? I don't want to do that, right? Well, you need to do that. You need to give it to the Lord. I mean, that, and that's what we found out. I'll tell you, one thing, and I've shared this before with everyone, one thing Sue did that was really amazing is I would pull in the driveway, the garage door would go up, and she would be at the door waiting for me every day, standing there. I mean, it was incredible. I mean, she thought so much that, you know, I didn't have to go pull in the driveway, get out of the car, get in the garage, go in the house, wear a suit or anything like that. She was standing at the door. And uh, what a difference that made in my life. You know, it made a huge difference. We're going to go to Philippians 2, 1 uh, through, five, uh, through 5. And let me read this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only in his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Jesus. We need to stop looking around, and we need to focus on and think about this, recognize the areas we're falling short. That's first. Where are we falling short? And recognize that. The second is to repent and allow Jesus to cover each area. Third is to realize we can't try it. In our, in, in this word, try, drives me crazy. If you meet somebody and they're like, I'm really trying not to do that, it's not going to work. You can try all you want, but if you can't do it in Christ and let him do it through you, it's going to fail. You know, so realize we can't try in our flesh to do better, for we'll always fall short. It's a spiritual battle. Our enemy, now listen to this, our enemy seeks to steal, kill, and destroy your marriage and our relationship with our kids. I mean, he's seeking to do that every day. But we can do all things through the power of Christ who gives us strength. The power of Christ is within us. He is on our side, and he wants us to win. Can I just share something sure. about that? My life first at the time when I first became a Christian was Ephesians 3.20. And it says, Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask. All. All. It's such a small word. But, man, this is huge. It's all-encompassing. All. Now unto him who is able to do all we could ask or even imagine according to the power that is within us. To him be the glory. And um, that what I memorized that verse because to me at the time, I thought the power is within me. I have the power to do whatever I think de deem is necessary, you know, because of Christ being within me. And that's why I originally memorized that verse. But now, after being Christians now for 40 years, I can look back at that verse and I say, he has done 
immeasurably more than all I could have ever asked or imagined. To him be the glory. Man, this amazes me. And when you look at this triangle, you know, everybody, you know, a lot of people have seen this before, but we love this because the world tells you it's horizontal. We're going to duke this out and we're going to figure it out together. And it's not that way. It's a vertical. We've got to see it through the Lord. We've got to be praying to him, to Jesus, that he's going to straighten this out. Whatever we go through, whatever those your right hand was squeezing, you can try all you want, but God will get going. And and we're going to discuss one one of the, and this is four weeks from now, but our fourth week, we're going to discuss finances, and it's a big deal with Sue and I. Mm -hmm. We... We in the Lord didn't get where we are now, if, first of all, if it wasn't for him. But he taught us a lot. And let me tell you, 30 years of Dave Ramsey will do it to you. you know. And it did. For, for basically almost 30 years, we've been doing Dave Ramsey. But guys, do you see why you want to get to the top of the mountain with God? Do you see why you want to keep pursuing him? Because the, the, the closer you get to God the closer you become to one another. And it doesn't necessarily depend on the other person. If you, God promised me in 1 Peter 3, that if I were to focus on me and my walk, he would take care of John. And he did exactly that. He held his end of the bargain for sure. So don't think that, oh, well, uh, you know, here I am out here, and I'm going to get closer and get closer on top of the mountain, but my spouse is lagging so far behind. No, 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 no. We don't worry about the spouse. We just focus on how close we're getting to God and let him worry about your spouse. When you think about it, I think Blackaby said in uh, Experiencing God, he talked about spiritual ceiling height. Setting the spiritual ceiling height, whatever that ceiling is. And some of us, our kids go above that in spite of us. All right? We've only had it this high, and they've gone way above it. Unfortunately, some have gone way below it, depending on how low our spiritual height is in our home. You know, it's something to really think about. You know, one thing when you get into discussions, and they can be heated at times, Those are the times you need to stop and pray. And, you know, even if your spouse doesn't want to, says, you know what, I'm so mad I can't pray right now. Well, then, okay, I get it, but I will. All right? And pray anyway. Because let me, and I'm going to give you a prayer right now, just a sample of something that you should pray when you're going through some tough times. All right, so what I'd like all of you to do... Colossians 3.1 is, talks about putting, putting off and putting on. And, um, and this, this prayer, I think, is, it kind of goes along with Colossians 3 um, with that. And it's, it's repenting of what we see that is harming our marriage and asking to put on what we see will heal the marriage. So what I'd like you to do is just all bow your heads, close your eyes. And I'm going to pray this, but act like you're praying it, all right, with your spouse. So it would be something like this. Father, I repent of my pride, my self-centeredness, my jealousy, my deception, my apathy, my unforgiveness, 
my busyness, my me wanting to be in control, and renounce its control in my life. Father, work in me a spirit of humility, sacrifice, truth, grace, acceptance, love, and forgiveness. He prayed that God would send his spirit to overcome and restore, that he would sow restoration in our relationship through steps of obedience. And you know, God, you can, you can look up now. When you look at that prayer and you take care of all those things like humility and sacrifice and truth and grace, but also removing jealousy and apathy and unforgiveness, you take all that out and add that in it just changes your whole countenance. And boy, we talked about the enemy at the very beginning. That's exactly what the enemy doesn't want. For you two to get on your hands and knees and ask for forgiveness. I can honestly, just as a word of a testimony, I, it, w it was not with him, um, but there was an issue with a, a, a close person in my life and um, and I could just sense that there was a spirit of separation there. That, and I couldn't put my hand on it. I couldn't pinpoint what it was. But I just felt that there was this wall coming up um, in between us. And, um, and so I began to pray this prayer. I prayed for myself, and I prayed for that other person as well. That whatever it was, whether it was, was it unforgiveness? Was it apathy, just not caring? What, whatever it was, that he would renounce that. And I was going to repent of it, renounce it, and fill it with a spirit of unity. I was seeking oneness, a spirit of love and of joy and of peace and of patience. And... Um, and I can honestly say, I, I wrote in my journal the other day, I looked back to when I began to pray this prayer. And it had been um, July 6th. And it was, it was September 5th. And I can say, I wrote big words in my journal. Prayer works. It works. Because suddenly, I hadn't done anything, but suddenly the wall was down. It was so cool. I had the best weekend with this person. And, um, and I knew it, it was him. I don't even know what the problem was, but it's gone. And I don't really care now. You know, I'm just going to continue to pray. But I just throw that out there because it, prayer does work. You know, one thing, and we'll, we'll continue in a second here, but one thing that just the Lord brought up in my mind here is um, with our parents. Um, you know, we all started. Well, when you think about it, Sue led her dad to Christ and led her mom. I did forgive him. <laughs> and I led my dad to Christ. I figured, and, hey, um, he was the one that missed out on walking and my himself, mom, his only daughter down the aisle. My mom's 92 years old, and um, she's still not there yet. But she's 92, and she's doing great. And... Um, my granddaughter, who uh, just graduated from college recently, she's getting married in April, and she wants to fly down for the wedding. And so I'm just really hoping that this mm -hmm. is the time. Mm -hmm. So we're really praying hard for that. Mm -hmm. but, um, but anyway, let's continue here. When a husband and wife are both growing in their relationship with Jesus, their relationship with one another will be benefited uh, as well. And when you look at Acts 4, 31 through 32, it says, And when they had prayed... 
the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said to the other the other things uh, that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Can you imagine if that was your marriage? If you look at, and I know where that's, they're talking about the church here, but when you look at the scripture and you look at and you read that and say, my marriage, that's, that's it. Wouldn't that be something? That oneness, everything, you have everything in common. Um, when you look at it, you know, how did the Christians begin to relate to one another after they had been filled with the Holy Spirit? I mean, look at, I mean, first of all, the, the ground was shaken. They continued to speak the word of God in boldness, all right? And then what do you think it means to be of one heart and one mind? Agreement? Yeah. Anybody else? Unified, unity. And, uh, and we can rejoice, and they're rejoicing, and be happy for them. So let's, let's turn, we're going to turn over to, I've got it up on the board, uh, Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Now listen to this. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to in which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, according to this passage, if you look at some of the ways or actions uh, that will lead you into deeper intimacy, you know, when you look at it, find areas where you as a couple or a family can be, begin to serve together. You know, one thing Sue and I were doing at a very younger, young age when the kids were small is we were serving with our kids. We would go to church in Hudson, New Hampshire and open the church up in the morning before service, get the classrooms ready, and our kids would help us. We didn't realize what we were teaching them. When they say that apple doesn't fall far from the tree, they were, they were serving at six, seven years old, and they didn't realize they were doing it. I don't think we realized we were doing it. You know, we, we just, that was what God told us to do. And so it's really important that you find a, an area to serve with your kids, with your grandkids, and boy, this church really gives it to you. You have Bellevue Loves Memphis. You've got so much going on here. And then focus on common interests. You know, I hope you don't take this wrongly or whatever word I want to choose, but the lower the handicap, 
sometimes the bigger the problems. I was a golfer at one time. I don't have clubs anymore. I don't play golf anymore. Um, but let me tell you something. Being out of the house that long will cause problems down the road. Find things you have in common uh, with your children, with sports, even with your finances. You know, I, I, I'll just share this with you. I don't know how many of you do this, but every two weeks, Sue and I sit down with our laptop and go over our net worth. What changed, when it went up, what went down, what our checkbook looks like, what our savings account looks like, what we're gonna do next, how are we gonna make this money on this? We sit down together and discuss this. And it's huge. There's no secrets. And it's a big deal. Because you know, one thing, if you look at the Bible, it talks more about handling finances. I know, but I just wanna talk about it real quick. <laughs> than, it does about, than it does about faith. Money will really do a number on us. And so when it talks about looking at things, having things in common. Finance is a big deal. And then hobbies, doing things together, you know? We have hobbies together. And then pray and study together. Right now I'm reading a book called The Spiritual Man by Watchman Nee. And I'm almost done, I would say. I shouldn't say it. I'm pretty close. Probably the most in-depth book I've ever read. Has anybody read it? Anybody reading it? You reading it? No? Um, anyway, it's probably the most intense book I've ever read on Christianity. And, um, and so, but what I do is I have my prayer time, I have my reading time, and then I have my sharing time. I come down and then share what I learned. And so she hears from me what God is ta what, talking to me. That's intimacy in marriage. And that's exactly what the, Lord, what the enemy doesn't want. He'll have you talk about a football game, a basketball game. He'll have you talk about shopping. He'll have you talking about all kinds of things. But share God's word. Boy, does it get uncomfortable for whatever reason? He just makes it that way. The enemy is in there driving that wedge. So in the morning when I'm done, I come downstairs and say, all right, listen to this. You know, and we'll go over it together. So we want to close with James 1, 22 through 25. Guys, I want to just share one thing. You know, people always ask us, um, what's our secret? You know, what's your secret to being best buds? And I'm, I'm not kidding you. John and I, seriously, if we didn't have eight grandchildren, we could seriously go away and live on a deserted island and be perfectly happy. Um, we, we sneak away four months Amen. out of the year. <laughs> we sneak away four months out of the year and, and go to the beach now. And our children still are not happy about that. But, um, um, but you know, that's... that's our, our daughter, who's, you know, in her 40s, looked right at me and said, I'm not doing well with this. Because <laughs> we were leaving for three months. Yeah. She's like, I'm not doing well. It's yeah. like, well, sorry about but, that. But we are still best of buds. And, and seriously, we, we don't need any, anybody else, just the two of us. We'd be good, except for those grandkids. I'm telling you, those are big, big magnets. But anyway, this is the secret that took us from hopeless case. They're never going to make it to being. Well, from who said good luck? Somebody good luck. said. Yeah. We went from good luck, good luck to this. 
Yeah. All right. So uh, that was great, though. I love that. So I want to close this out in James 1, 22 through 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Well, that's interesting. We're reading the word and we're going to deceive ourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone looking at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like, right? But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Do you see the promise? There's a promise of God there. And let me tell you, if we could say anything about our marriage, it's that we did it. God told us what to do. We prayed, we listened, but then we did it. We applied it. Tim Shelton called and said, would you teach on Wednesday night? We did it, right? There's obedience, but there's also a joy. You know, there's, there's times where you go kicking and screaming, and then you actually like what you're doing, you know? It, 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 it's in marriage, too. I mean, that's the way it is. But there's an obedience there, all right? So do what he's telling you to do, and he'll bless your efforts towards your marriage. I want to say that. You know, when, when God first gave me First Peter 3, I was a brand-new baby Christian, and I committed it to God. I got down on my hands and my knees, and I said, okay, I will do this. And I gave him two months. <laughs> and then two months later, I came back and said, this is not working. And then that day, he showed me it really was. It really was. And that encouraged me to continue. So you may not see fruit right away. I want to encourage you. If, if God is calling you to do a certain thing, whatever it is, commit it, surrender to it. And give him the, let him have the results. Just be obedient. Because I can honestly say 47 years later, I'm so very glad we listened. And we did. And he blessed. Incredibly. You know, you know Labor Day, we had uh, our family over. Uh, we have a little pool in the backyard. And everybody came swimming. And I don't think we've ever had 16 people in our pool before. You know, it was a little intense. But anyway, and they were all diving and swimming and, and all that stuff. But, you know, after they left, you know, Sue and I just looked at each other and we were just amazed. Two kids, 19 and 18, and we looked around at all those kids and now uh, one that's engaged and another one that's dating a guy seriously. She's a, she's a freshman in college. And we just looked around and we were in amazement what God has done. But you've got to do it. It's great to read it, but you've got to apply it. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this time. And, uh, Father, I just pray that um, each one of us, Lord, you would help us through your spirit, Lord, in your power. We just pray, Lord, that you would help us to do it. Father, to take your word and apply it, not just read it. Father, I pray for each marriage here today, Lord. Father, strengthen it there's things going on that only you know. Father, I just pray there's be repentance. Father, we're just grateful for all you're going to do. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you that uh, you just permitted us to share. 
We give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can I share just a couple things before you guys take off? Um, first of all, can you help me thank John and Sue for tonight? Thank you all so much. Um, we can read a lot of books, but also we can read their lives. And I can tell you they're the real deal. have been for 47 years, so so thankful. Just a few things, just so you'll know. Uh, this class is put on by Fight for Your Family. And we have a webpage, uh, bovie.org forward slash family, where we house a lot of our resources for marriage and for parenting. Uh, right now, there if you go to the webpage, there are some activities you could do as a couple. Um, there's also, we did some things for Father's Day, some intentional, intentional dad stuff at the bottom, which is really cool. You can just click on that. There's also some resources for parents of teens that Next Gen uh, Ministry uh, collaborates with us on, so you can check that out if you need to. Um, also, if you've got little ones or, or ones that, that are in life groups here, uh, if you're in a life group, what you're learning uh, applies directly with what they're learning being taught in their life group. So on that same webpage, vote.org forward slash family, you can pick up all the little things that you could teach your kids. We call them the ABCs of stories. They're just questions you can ask your kids uh, about the lesson they learned the same day you learned it. Um, we have a digital resource called Right Now Media. It's like a free, it's like a Netflix for Christians. It's free to you. Uh, you can go to vote.org forward slash right now media. It's right hyphen now hyphen media. You can sign up for it. But there's hundreds of videos about marriage and about parenting you can watch, uh, encouraging to you. And also, if you're not in a life group, uh, please come talk to me. I, I deal with groups, work with groups all week long. We'd love to talk to you about some groups that we have to offer here. So, again, thanks for coming. John and Sue will be back next week and also the all every week in September. So look forward to seeing you guys. And don't miss the finances one fourth week. Communication next week, and we'll keep rolling. That You guys have a great night. Thanks for being here.